Live from St. Louis, Missouri, it's the Technically Speaking Podcast. Brought to you by Doherty Business Solutions. Get ready, because it's time to talk nerdy on the Technically Speaking Podcast. Welcome into the Technically Speaking Podcast. We are broadcasting live from the St. Charles Convention Center in beautiful downtown St. Charles, Missouri. You can see the river out the window. It's 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 fantastic, and uh, and we are broadcasting all day today, talking with agile thought leaders. And I have another one with me. I have Danielle Cooley, uh, straight across the table from me. Say hello, Danielle. Straight Welcome. across. Hi. Straight across. Welcome to the podcast. Listen to that audience. You're adoring fans. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. <laughs> and over to my left, I have Ian. Ian, say hello. Hi. How you doing? Ian's going to bring some actual actual agile cred to this conversation and keep this out of. Um, I don't know, kindergarten class or something like that, which is where I would be. But um, Danielle, you're joining us. You are speaking here at the Agile Conference. You are an Agile, uh, obviously, thought leader. Um, your your speaking session, though, has maybe kind of a tangent, uh, tangent um, connection to Agile, or maybe, as you mentioned, it doesn't have any connection at all. Uh, but you're here anyway. <laughs> Um, the business case for UX. So talk a little bit about uh, that and how it does or does not connect to Agile. Sure. So the business case for UX is that uh, for any investment in user experience, specifically an end user contact uh, or time with end users, you see a huge return on that investment. So that is basically the business case for UX. You know, other valuable things are it's the right thing to do. You know, it, it's more ethical. It helps you build better products. But, you know, in the end, it helps you make more money or save more money. And someone did ask me earlier, you know, well, how does that tie into Agile? And I said, well, not specifically in this case, except that when you're developing using an Agile framework, you want to develop useful, usable, delightful products that people will adopt by use and that will help them do their jobs more efficiently. So what we'll be talking about today is why you should do UX and what we're not talking about today specifically, but could at any time is how you integrate that into an agile process. Oh, I think we're gonna talk about that in this podcast. Okay. <laughs> so, Let it rip in. No, no, no. So, so you mentioned something really interesting about um, that good UX is ethically important. Yes. Can you riff on that a little bit? Uh, sure. I mean, um, treat others the way you want to be treated, right? I have young children. I like to tell them that a lot. <laughs> they're, they're getting it. And, uh, you know, you want to use useful, usable, delightful products. I, mean, I think we all have had great experiences with digital products and physical products. Mostly we work with digital here in this world. And we've all had bad experiences, right? So sure. how do we want our end users to experience our products? So how, um, if there's good ethics, there's obviously bad ethics for it. Ah, yes. So uh, my favorite website for this is called Dark Patterns. And it is, when you, when you do this type of work, this user experience work, you do learn a lot about human psychology, right? It's another term for it is design psychology. So you can design things in a way that helps people do their work better or accomplish their tasks by things they want to buy. Uh, you can also do that in a way that tricks them into doing things that they don't want to do or are perhaps contrary to their best interest. So uh, there is certainly a large Can you give school. us an example there? Oh, sure. Oh, uh, something just popped up in, in one of my social media feeds 
memories lists where Slate a few years ago was trying to push people to their online store with this pop-up. And there was a close icon on the pop-up, but clicking the close icon took you to the store. Oh, that's dirty. Yeah. And that one apparently was unintentional, but certainly there are a number. And once (laughs) people called them out on it, they fixed it. But uh, there are plenty of people who do that on purpose with malice. So you're talking about the business case for user experience. So that that would, by then definition, mean that there could be pushback. Like you have to prove why you need to have a good user experience. Is that is that the case? I mean, when you when you lay it out and you say, well, we could have a good customer experience, and intentionally do that, or we could have a bad one, and we could intentionally do that. I mean, is it as nefarious as that? Is or just it's a misunderstanding and just a. Um, just an education, or is there a actual, um, you need to have that discussion? Oh, that discussion happens all the time, yes. Uh, the user experience work, the work that's required to create a truly useful, usable, delightful experience is not trivial, right? And it doesn't happen by accident. So you do have to pay extra attention to it. Developers tend not to have that skill set, you know, to have the mindset of the end user. Um, Product managers tend not to have that mindset. Anyone in a product project doesn't, right? Because you spend at least eight hours a day thinking about coding, looking at mockups of this digital product. Your user doesn't do that, right? So uh, it definitely is something that people think just happens or that think software developers are responsible for or business analysts might be responsible for, but it really is a totally separate practice that is necessary to create that good product. So what uh, what kind of um, kind of methods do you use to help prove that that business case? Because you you mentioned earlier, good design and good experience leads to more money. So how do you how do you draw that uh, that that connection then for for leaders? Yes. Well, in the talk today, we'll be presenting a number of case studies where people had a bad product, did the work that was required to make it better, and then ended up with a measurably better product. Things like 90% reduction in calls to support, um, you know, huge bumps in revenue, 40%, $300 million. The best story in the industry is the $300 million button in which um, a large online retailer added the checkout as guest button that they didn't used to have, right? You could either log into your account and check out or you could register and check out. But those were, at first, the only two options. And they were seeing dramatic drop-off, of course, at this page. And so I said, well, you know, I don't think people want to register, you know? And the company's like, no, 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 we want them to have a relationship with us. Well, it doesn't really matter what you want, company. Um, <laughs> it's like a dating relationship. Right? Exactly. You know, it's not the Pepe Le Pew method doesn't necessarily <laughs> exactly. win a lot of hearts. So they added this checkout as guest option and revenues increased $300 million in a year. That's amazing. Right. And, and, and is it easy to make that connection? I mean, like, you know, sometimes business leaders will, will point to, you know, because it seems like user experience is this kind of, you know, uh, it's in the nebulous. It's, you know, hard to, it's not tangible um, in terms of, like, you can't really, like, it's, for, for, to your point, though, a button. But uh, is it easy to draw that, those results then back to the UX? side of things? It does depend, right? If you are able to isolate that variable or not. 
So often it comes as part of a larger redesign and you can't specifically pinpoint, oh, this was the thing that caused our revenues to go up or down or mm -hmm. whatever. Um, it was this, that's what makes this a great case study, right? Because that was the only change in that situation. Yeah. So any, any kind of, um, I, I guess, uh, tips for, for people in UX that are in this, uh, in this same kind of uh, uh, situation where they're trying to prove the value? The best way really is to get one, like first one's free sort of deal where you do a little bit of it and people start to see the value. They start to learn things. Um, the most immediate return on investment is fewer arguments around the conference table. So we've all been there, right, where you've got your product team and they're like, I think it should go this way. I think this step should come first. I think all this should be on one screen. I think we should split up into two screens. Well, once you start bringing end users in to this process in a methodical way, you have answers to those questions. You're not just blindly speculating across a conference table. And it saves a lot of time, uh, increases morale in the product team. You know, it really helps. So, so I'll bring some Agile into it with the concept of experimenting and failing early and failing fast. Does A-B testing and, and that sort of experimentation play into how you develop that good UX? A-B testing is absolutely one of the tools that we use. Um, I am typically more involved in qualitative research ahead of time, but again, it does follow that failing fast model where you want to prototype and test, prototype and test, prototype and test before you code. Right? Because prototyping is cheap and fast, and coding is laborious and expensive, right? Right, and the whole concept of try that, get it in front of the customers, even if your first, you know, we talk a lot about MVP in the Agile world, but if your first MVP is some mock-ups that you're walking customers through, like you, like you were talking about. Absolutely. You can do that with pencil and paper sketches mm -hmm. and understand really what they're doing, and that's even the best way to start uh, to understand just the structure of what your product needs to look like and to even understand what that MVP is, right? To, to say this feature is really important or this feature isn't really that important to us. Yeah, so um, my, uh, my crack team of researchers uh, found out that, uh, uh, I guess they infiltrated your Twitter feed and it seems that you like to point out UX fails and stuff like that um, from other companies. Um, from companies around the country or the world, are, are there are there any kind of like interesting um, UX uh, you maybe head scratchers that you've seen as you've as you've gone along? Wow, every single day. Let me see if I can think of one specifically. Um, you know, often I find it, here's one that comes up all the time, and and someone posted about it on my LinkedIn feed just this week was a phone number field. Uh, they entered their phone number and got an error message. Why? There's, there's very easy coding that can be done to parse out if you do dots between your um, area code prefix and extension, if you do dashes, if you use parentheses in the traditional format, if you just write a string of 10 numbers. There, it's not that complicated for a developer to take that and figure out there's 10 numbers here this is a phone number, here's how we store that in our database, and make that completely seamless to the end user. But even now in 2017, what, 25 years after the like, blossoming sure. of the internet, <laughs> right? Not the, not the invention, but the popularization of the internet. You know, we're still dealing with that. that Why seems, do you think that is? I think 
So uh, there's a burden of use for any digital product. Uh, call it one to 100, right? It takes 100 units of effort for an end user to accomplish a task with the digital product. And the developer team um, can take on as much of that burden as they're willing to, right? Just about up to even 90% sometimes, mm -hmm. depending on what the task is, of course. And some of them are just not willing to do that. I mean, it does, there is code required for that, right? Some people are not willing to spend the time to write that code. Uh, is, is it a dev team thing? Is it a the product owner or whoever is directing the team isn't willing to invest that? Because this kind of ties back to making the business case for it. It right. implies that there's a, almost a business decision not to do that. Uh, the, the default is not to do it. Okay. And so there is that education that this is a problem that exists, right? And I, I ran into it. And that's really just a micro interaction, right? It's not even a, a larger scale issue. But um, another one in a project I was working on recently was we were presenting all this data for an enterprise tool in a tabular format. And all the mockups had these nice tables. And when we got them back from the developers, there were five rows per page. And people had to page through this table that was really not that big. There was really no, not an incredible reason for them. You know, it doesn't taking, pulling lots of data down from a server or anything like that. It was just kind of sloppy. And, uh, you know, but it wasn't, it didn't fail to meet the business requirement, right? Which is the data has to be visible to the user or something very basic like that. Uh, met the technical requirements for the platform it was being developed in. Maybe even followed a convention for that platform, but it still wasn't a good user experience. How can we fix that? How can we get those people to care? Show, talk, let them see the end users. Watching an end user struggle with your product is so illuminating. And usually there's an initial amount of resistance, right? Like you just pick the biggest idiot in the village <laughs> to use this product, right? Okay, fine. I'll bring in another one. Okay, I'll let you pick somebody to bring in. And then you get enough people who are like, oh gosh, you know. This is a lot. And, um, maybe they're not all idiots. Maybe the idiot uh, is on the other side. Yeah, maybe it's a, uh, yeah. an interface problem we have here. Yeah. And the fact is, even if they are idiots, right, that's the person you're trying to develop for. Right? That's the person you want to sell a sweater to. That's the person who needs to analyze marketing data for you know, whatever company. Well, I think uh, I think this whole concept of user experience is, is is great. I think it's great that we're talking about it. I mean, uh, you can see it in the computing world, but everywhere uh, it's starting to proliferate and become more of an issue. I mean, uh, you can look at just Apple versus Microsoft, and you know, Microsoft ruled the roost for in business, especially for a very long time, kind of almost despite uh, having kind of a substandard. Uh, uh, user experience, and and you can kind of see how uh, how the mindset is starting to shift a little bit towards things that are a little bit more intuitive. How do we get past the idea of uh, well, this is just a business application; it's not consumer facing. Like, um, uh, it doesn't need to have all the bells and the whistles, and and it doesn't have to look great, or doesn't you know? It just has to be a business application. How do you how do you combat? you know, that type of argument. Sure, what value do you put on employee productivity? Right, so there was a research study that found that of typical intranet tasks, right, so finding HR forms, um, submitting an IT help desk request, all those kinds of typical things, uh, a number of intranets were 
analyzed and they found only 74% of the task attempts were successful. So think about someone spending 26% of their time trying and failing to do their job and you're spending 26% of their salary and benefits times all of your employees, uh, there's some value there. Um, the best place we see that is in call centers where they are absolutely, like, I know if this person spends two extra seconds on every phone call, it costs us $250,000 a year. You know, they, they've got that very well quantified. Yeah. Well, awesome. Uh, I appreciate you coming on the podcast uh, today. Uh, your present presentation title again, the business case for UX. Should you be here? Who knows? Yes, you should be here. Uh, we need to uh, have this conversation and, and especially within the Agile community. Um, good luck on your talk today. Um, if people want to, um, if they hear this podcast and they kind of like the ideas and they want to talk more about it, how do they reach out to you? Sure. You can find me online just about everywhere as DG Cooley. I'm on Twitter as DG Cooley. And you can find me on the web at dgcooley.com for consulting, speaking, workshops, anything you might need. Awesome. Diane Cooley, I appreciate you coming on the Technically Speaking podcast. And again, good luck with your talk today. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to the Technically Speaking podcast. Get involved with the show by following us on Twitter at SpeakTech or like our page at Facebook.com slash SpeakTechPodcast. If you have suggestions or questions related to the show or would like to be considered as a future guest, send feedback and inquiries to hey at SpeakTechPodcast.com. I'm Zach Lenz, and thank you for listening to the Technically Speaking Podcast.